So, New Year's resolutions started actually like 4,000 years ago, but they were a lot different than the way they are now. So, whereas New Year's resolutions today are commitments usually to ourself about some kind of self-improvement, uh, 4,000 years ago it started in Babylon, and they were commitments to the gods they worshipped to return borrowed items and, and pay off debts. And it kind of continued that way through to the time of the Romans, the medieval ages, and then in the 18th and 19th century, New Year's resolutions kind of became what they are today. And when you think about a new year, resolutions kind of make sense, and they're good. Like, it's a, a fresh start 365 days, like this is it, it's a new thing. So I'm curious, do you have resolutions for this year? Or even if you're not into the resolutions, what is your main desire for 2023? To love God? I hope. But like think, deep down, like what is your biggest desire? For 2023. And I figured what we would do this morning is we would take a pause and we would look at one man's one desire in Scripture. And we would just sit in that and soak in that in our time together. So it's going to be up there on the screen, but what I would encourage you to do is pull out your Bibles, turn on your phone uh, to Psalm 27, because we're going to jump around the chapter a bunch. This is Psalm 27. This is the word of God. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking Him in His temple. For He will conceal me in His shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of His tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord. Lead me on a level path. Do not give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. And let your heart be courageous. Wait for the Lord. This is the word of God. And I figured we would pray. But before we pray, this time together is not supposed to just be me saying things and you listening, or maybe listening. This is a time of not just listening, but treasuring in your heart what God has to say in his word. And that takes the work of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and it also takes hard work on your part, listening and applying and thinking and asking God to work, and it takes hard work on my part too. So as I pray, I'm going to pray for you, that your heart treasures as we go to God together. 
but you pray for your own heart and for the people around you. So let's, let's go now and pray. Dear Lord, your word is so sweet. Lord, I, I pray that you will be working this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray you'll stir up the affections of our hearts so that we will want you and love you. Dear God, I pray for anyone here that might not know you, that you will be prodding their hearts and challenging and convicting. I pray that we will treasure you and desire you like David. Thank you for this church family, God. You are so good. Jesus, I pray these things in your good, powerful, and sweet name. Amen. So whenever you go to a part in the Bible, our our goal is, is to say, all right, what is... The person who's writing it, what is he saying? So, so look here in chapter 27 in the verses, and you kind of see two themes jump out over and over and over again in just these 14 verses. Well, first you see danger. Like verse 2, evildoers came against me, my foes and my enemies. Verse 3, an army deploys against me. Uh, verse 11, because of my adversaries. Verse 12, don't give me over to the will of my foes. False witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. So you see real, serious, life-threatening danger coming at David. But then you see something else all throughout these 14 verses, and it's David's response to the danger. Look at the 14 verses. What's his response? It's, it's confidence. It's confidence. I mean, he, so he says in verse 1, Whom should I fear? Whom should I dread? Verse 3, My heart will not be afraid. I will still be confident. Verse 6, My head will be high above my enemies. Verse 7, he, Hear my voice. And he, Verse 9, He talks about God is my, my help. He, he, verse 13, He says, I'm certain that I will see the Lord's goodness. Be strong, be courageous. So you see these two things over and over and over again in these 14 verses. There is real, serious danger, but David is confident through it all. So as we think about Psalm 27, like what is the main point? What is he saying? Well, it's all about David's confidence in the Lord despite danger. David's confidence in the Lord despite danger. And there's something remarkable about David's response. Two things, actually. The first is his confidence is in the Lord. Because there's two responses. I don't know about you, but when things get difficult or scary, there's two responses we usually have. It's either to cower or it's to roll up our sleeves and say, I've got this. But David is saying, I don't got it. And he's not cowering. He's saying, the Lord protects. The Lord provides. The Lord is with me. That's the first thing that is so remarkable. And the second thing that is remarkable is David's one desire in the danger. And you see it in verse 4. If I were David, my number one desire would be to run away from the evildoers, to get out of there, to be safe. But look in verse 4. What is David's one desire? I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. In the midst of danger, people breathing violence and, and slandering and lying and seeking to end his life. What's his one desire? To dwell with the Lord. Now, that word dwell means this, this closeness, this intimacy with God. 
And he talks about temple and the house of the Lord. And back when David was writing this, the temple and the house is the physical place where God would come and live among his people. And, and now we have the Holy Spirit. But, but what he's saying isn't as much he wants to go hang out in the temple, hang out in a house and see what happens. His point is, I want to live with God. I want closeness with God. I want intimacy with my God more than anything. And you know what closeness with someone looks like and feels like, right? It's, it's what you want. There's a, a trust there. It, it kind of consumes your thoughts. And when we think about God, there's this trust that comes with the closeness. There's this yearning to be with God. There's this obedience. So this is what David desires over and over and over again, despite the danger. His desire is, God, I want to be with you. I want to be close to you. I want to know you. And the the question that comes to my mind is, David, why? People are literally seeking to end your life, why is your one desire closeness with God? And we see the reasons sprinkled all throughout the 14 verses, and they are beautiful. And one of the reasons I picked this was because new year, new start, let's think about the one desire we should have. The other reason is because outside of these four walls, there seems to be a lot of apprehension and even fear about this year. It kind of seems like everything's going nuts out there. And even in these four walls, I know many of you are struggling and tired, nervous, maybe even scared. What does this year have to hold? What's next for us? And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to come and look up together. So there's many different reasons why David's one desire is the Lord. And I kind of grouped them up into three. First is God is your salvation. Second is God is your shelter. And the third is, I forgot the third. The first is God is your salvation. The second is God is your shelter. And the third is God is good and faithful. There we go. I knew it was there. So those are the three. God is your salvation. God is your shelter. God is good and faithful. So if your Bible's open, let's just look up together. So the first is God is your Savior, your salvation. So in verse 1, David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. And in verse 9, he says, You've been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Now, the first thing I just want to sit and think about is God is your Savior eternally. Now, in, in here, that's, that's not the, the main thing that David is talking about. God is our eternal Savior. But you see beautiful pointers. In verse 4, David says, I've asked one thing from the Lord. It's what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, we just celebrated Christmas. And there's a name for Jesus that is kind of said over and over and over again during Christmas, and it's Emmanuel. And you remember what Emmanuel means? It means God with us. So David's desire is to dwell with God. And what is Jesus? He is God with us. He came to die and rise again to make us new. Not just so that he might live among us, but so that he might dwell in us through the Holy Spirit. And so that one day we may dwell with him physically forever. So just in, in this one verse, we see this beautiful pointer to Jesus. We don't just have to desire to dwell with God. He has come to dwell with us, to dwell in us, so that we may dwell with Him forever. This is such good news. And, and you, you might be sitting here 
encouraged by this. And, and there's a chance that maybe you shouldn't be because Jesus is only the Savior of those who repent and believe. He's not your Savior if you have not turned from your sins and trusted in Him as your Savior. But the good news is you can do this right here, right now, my friend. Confess your sins and trust that Jesus is the only one that can save you because he died on the cross and rose again. But if you have believed in Jesus, this is good news. When you look at the other religions, like if we pretend God is on the mountain, it's usually we have to work our way to God or maybe we meet halfway. But we see here, no, we could never even get one step close to God because of our sinfulness. So God came to us and dwelt among us so that we might be saved through his death and resurrection. Listen, we could end it here. We won't, but we could end it here, say, this is why you should desire the Lord more than anything this year. This is why you do not need to fear. This is why you can be confident because God is your salvation eternally if you have trusted in him as your savior. But there are other reasons why. We see here in these verses that not only is God your savior eternally, but he's also your rescuer and deliverer from things here. And that's good news. Because all of you have things you want to be delivered from and rescued from. So David, I mean, over and over again, in these 14 verses, we see he was surrounded by liars and bloodthirsty enemies. And he was confident that not only was God able to save him, but that God would save him. And as I think about a righteous person's life being threatened by enemies, my mind just goes to the majority of our brothers and sisters around the world whose lives are in danger just because of their faith and obedience in Christ. Put yourselves in their shoes just for a second. How would this comfort them? Oh, it would be so sweet. Like, God is able to protect and deliver and rescue, not just eternally, but from everything we've got going on here. He's able to. I think if you've, I think if you've been a believer for more than five years, and maybe even less, I think you could probably tell at least one story of how the God has rescued and delivered and provided in miraculous ways. But I also think David would agree that sometimes God chooses in his perfect wisdom not to rescue us and deliver us from what threatens us. Think of our, the majority of our brothers and sisters who do end up dying because of their faith and obedience. So what if God chooses to not rescue and deliver us? What does that mean? For us, for, about God? Well, it means there's still victory. Listen, there might be a time in our near future where we will join our other brothers and sisters in needing to rely on God's provision and protection because our lives are in danger because of our faith and obedience. And, and just think, take a step back. Death comes for us all. And the majority of the time, it's probably not expected. So what does it mean when, when God chooses in his perfect good wisdom to not rescue and not deliver? Take a step back and think, what can man do to you if you are in Christ? But even take a, a further step back and just think of all the things that, that threaten us and trouble us. What can cancer do to you if you are in Christ? What can unexpected tragedy, illness, or even disability do to you if you are in Christ? Let's be realistic. They might make life feel unbearable. They might keep you up at night as you wrestle with, how am I going to provide for my family? And as you break at the thought of, my family is going to have to go on without me, and how, how is this going to happen? It's not easy. But if God chooses in his good and perfect wisdom to not deliver and rescue us from what troubles us and threatens us here, here's what I know for sure. Everyone I know that has a contagiously wonderful relationship with God has suffered much. Those who love God much suffer much. 
And it's because the Lord is near the brokenhearted. He saves those crushed in spirit. Psalm 34, 18. It's because he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds. Psalm 147, 3. And there are many of you in here where you have suffered much and you love God much and I thank God for you and your faith. So that's the first thing. The second thing, if God chooses to not deliver us from, from what is, is troubling us and threatening us, here's what I know. He's still good and we will still be victorious. In verse 6, David says, my head will be high above my enemies around me. He's talking victory over enemies. And here's what I know. If you are in Christ, my friend, when Christ returns, all things will be made new. All things will be made right. You will be victorious. Here's what Romans 16.20 says. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Friend, you will not only be victorious over sin and death and sorrow and your enemies, you will be victorious over Satan himself because of what Christ did on and off the cross. This is what I know for sure. And the last thing, that if God chooses to not deliver and rescue you from what threatens and what is endangering you, in the end, those things cannot separate you from the love of God. This is what one person wrote. A Christian could look at death and tell him, the only thing your king has permitted you to do is carry me into his arms. This is what I know for sure. If Christ does choose to deliver and rescue you from what is troubling you and endangering you, but this is also what I know if God in his perfect good wisdom chooses not to. We can say with Paul, for me to live as Christ, to die is gain. And listen, you you can see in these 14 verses, David is so confident in the face of death. And if David can be this confident in the face of death, friend, you can be confident in death, in sickness, in sorrow, in worry, and even in the hard things and all the craziness that's going around us. As I, as I talk to people, people are troubled and worried about everything going on from inflation to elections. But if you are in Christ, I, I want you to get this. The kind of confidence David has here is contagious. Man, you will stand out. If when everyone else is panicking, you are like David and say, Whom shall I fear? What shall I dread? The Lord is with me. The Lord cares for me. You do not need to fear anything that comes in 2023 because of who God is. And this means this is going to change or should change the way you react when things get crazy. It means not panicking as best as we can. God knows we are flawed, sinful, scared people. But it means we should be fighting the panic, and it also means we should be fighting the rage that can sometimes happen, right? When we we see things going crazy, we want to rage, and we'll type it all out on social media and send it out, or in the family group chat that they'll probably make a second group chat because they don't want you in the group chat anymore. (laughs) This should change how you react in the craziness. So that that is the first reason. Why, Why should God be our number one desire? because he is your salvation eternally, but he's also your rescuer and deliverer. Second reason is God is your shelter. In verse 1, David says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life. In verse 5, he says, he will conceal me in his shelter and the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. I want to talk about two of those, stronghold and the the shelter tent. So when I was growing up, we had this board game, Stratego, and it was Lord of the Rings themed because for some reason, homeschoolers are all about Lord of the Rings. It's the only cool thing I guess we can watch. Um, But I love the game. And, And there was one piece called the stronghold where you would hide your most important pieces 
because it was impossible to break through. Like it was this strong fortress, you couldn't defeat it. So when I think of the Lord is the stronghold of my life, my mind goes to that. The Lord is this strong, unbreakable defense that you run to. None defeat him, none break him, none scare him. He is the stronghold of your life. The second one is, is this shelter and tent. And, and I think of, have you ever been caught in a storm? Probably. Um, right, like, you know, you're, you're like in a, a playground or, or a park and you see this storm coming from far away and there's a, a shelter, some kind of a canopy, you're going to run under it. And that's the idea of danger and sin and, and all of these things are coming. And David is saying, I run to the shelter and I hide and he is with me. So you might be saying, listen, that's all and good. But what does that practically mean? God is your shelter and it means you must run to him. It means going to him, crying out to him, pouring out your heart. God, I need you. I can't do this. This is what I need. That is what it means. And this is what David does all throughout the Psalms, but it's what he does in verse 7. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. It's what he says in verse 11 and 12. Because of my adversaries, show me your way, Lord. Lead me on a level path. Don't give me over to the will of my foes, for false witnesses rise up against me, breathing violence. So God is your shelter. What does that mean? It means you must run to him, cry out to him, pour your heart out to him. This is what First Peter 5, 7 talks about, right? So this is the famous anxiety verse, right? Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him, because he cares about you. So there's this idea, again, of this mighty, strong, unbreakable, unbeatable God. And he's saying, cast your cares, your anxieties on him. Like a a fisherman, right? Putting bait and casting, throwing it out. That's what this means. And it means going to God. And it's interesting, in the first part it says, humble yourselves. Despite what many might think, it actually takes a very strong person to do this. It takes a strong, humble person to run to the shelter, humble themselves under the mighty hand of God because it's saying, I don't have this. I don't know what to do. I am scared. I am anxious. I'm angry. You got to help me. It takes a strong, humble person to run to the shelter. The opposite of doing what David is doing is like someone standing out in the park, they see the storm coming and they say, I've been in worse, I've got this, and standing there when the storm comes. And we all do this in a way, whether it's rolling up our sleeves and saying, listen, I've got this, I've gone through worse, I can do this. It might be a cowering. You run away. You try to ignore or deflect these things that are weighing on you because you don't know what to feel or you're scared about what you're feeling. You don't know what to feel about what you're feeling, so you just choose to push it aside. All of that I understand, but all of that is pride and it's foolishness when you have a shelter right there for you. So go to your shelter. I say this to those of you who are suffering and struggling. I know many of you are. But I also say this to those of you who have to be strong for the person who is suffering. I say this also to those of you who have to walk alongside the person that is facing the illness, the disability, the struggle, death, whether that's a spouse, a child, a parent, the shelter's for you too. Go to him. He is good and he is faithful. 
even in the little things. Like even in the anxiousness of that meeting you have to go to or you know there's an opportunity to share the gospel and it's freaking you out. Go to him. He is your shelter in the big and the little things. So we see God is our salvation, God is our shelter, and God is good and faithful. We see that all throughout the 14 verses, but but David says, I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. God being good means he always is and he always does what is right, fair, and best. And faithful means he keeps doing it. One of my favorite of God being faithful and good here in these 14 verses is verse 9. Read read, read this. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my helper. Do not leave me or abandon me, God of my salvation. Here it is. Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. This, I feel like in the 14 verses, at least for me, this is the epitome of God's goodness and faithfulness. Now, real quick, if you are rebelling from God, There is no comfort in this verse for you, except that if you are in Christ, you can turn to him, and he will care for you, and he will bring you back. And if you don't even know Christ at all, you can turn to him, and he will save you and make you new. But those of you who are trying to be faithful, you're going to face abandonment. Whether it's because of your faith, or we just live in a sinful, broken world. Like one of the greatest biggest sorrows like on a list is people you deeply care about abandoning you it might be a father it might be a mother it might be a child it might be a grandchild it might be someone that you looked up to and cared about it might be someone that you cared about and mentored abandonment breaks the heart But even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord cares for me. He will not abandon you. I, I think of one of my favorite lines from many hymns when darkness seems to hide his face, rest in his unchanging grace. Like it might feel like God has abandoned you, but he has not. Rest that he is faithful, he is good, he has unchanging grace for you. Even if my father and my mother, and you can put in, even if my child, even if my grandchild, even if you fill in the blank, abandon me, the Lord cares for me. The Lord is so good and faithful. We get to verse 13, and it's a hard verse, I think. I am certain that I will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. You might read that, and you say, oh yeah? He has not been good to me, at least not recently. It feels like it's been one thing after another. Where, Where is his goodness in the land of the living? There's two things. One, it doesn't say you're going to see the Lord's goodness every single day. It's there. It doesn't say you're always going to see it. You're always going to be aware of it. The fact that you're breathing is a sign of the Lord's goodness. But the second thing is God's goodness and our goodness are two different things, and I thank God for that. If you had everything that you thought was good, your life would be a wreck. I think, like, if your child or grandchild had everything they thought was good, their life would be a mess. Your life would definitely be a mess. The world would be a mess. They would probably wish it snows every day so they wouldn't have to go to school. They'd probably wish vegetables turn into candy, and that would make a mess for everybody. Our view of goodness is so limited and also so selfish. Like, if we had a choice, we would say, God, no suffering on the menu, thank you very much. But remember, those who love God much suffer much. God's goodness is vastly different from our goodness, and I thank God for that. 
And I'm sure you do too. Even if it's not in the moment, you see it. And even if you won't see it here, you'll see it one day when you stand before Christ and you look back and you say, you're right. You were right. Your goodness was in the land of the living. Now listen, God can rescue and deliver. We've already talked about that. He can work a miracle and you see God's goodness like in this clear, amazing, miraculous way. And you say, oh man, that is good. And I think if you've been a believer for at least five years, you've probably seen at least a glimpse of this. And we have to be really careful that we don't become skeptical and doubtful. God doesn't really do that anymore. The same God who parted the Red Sea is the same God today. And he can and he is able. And he does it every day. But at the same time, we're not promised this temporary rescue from what troubles us. In fact, we're promised suffering. But what you can be confident of, listen, God is able to rescue. I cannot doubt that. But also, God's goodness might be peace. Calm in your soul when everything is falling down around you. It might be a closeness with the Lord you've never experienced. It might be God just chipping away at your sin. And even that is is worth its weight in gold. God is good and he is faithful. I promise you this. If you are in Christ, you will see God's goodness in the land of the living because it's all throughout the Bible. But it might not be what you expect. It probably won't be what you expect. You will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. And man, what he says, he ends this beautiful, wonderful psalm with kind of like a beautiful gut punch, right? Wait for the Lord. That's hard. But that's what life is. That's what the Christian life is. I mean, we're waiting for our salvation to be complete when we will be physically with God forever made perfect. Literally, the whole Christian life is waiting. But every day is waiting. I feel like many of you, most of you are waiting for something good and right. And it's hard to wait. God, why do I have to keep waiting? Wait. When darkness seems to hide his face, rest in his unchanging grace. You can wait because God is faithful and God is good, my friend. So it makes sense when you walk through the psalm why David's one desire is closeness with God. So then, real quick, all right, that's great. What does this mean for me? How do I get to this point? It's interesting, in verses 7 to 8, look what David says. He says, Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. This is it, verse 8. My heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, I will seek your face. So where does David's desire to dwell with the Lord start? It starts with his heart. This is what I've come to realize Your heart gets what it wants. And by that, I don't mean you manifest your deepest desires. That's a bunch of baloney. By that, what I mean is, listen, if you you want that relationship, if you want that sin, your heart's going to get what it wants. You're going to go after it. It doesn't matter... If you move, it doesn't matter if you, how many blockers you put on your computer. You want it, your heart's going to get it. I think the same applies here. If the Holy Spirit has put a desire in your heart to seek the Lord, you're going to go after it. But that is a Holy Spirit-produced desire that we can't just make up. And the beautiful thing is, though, God has provided the means to seek Him and meet Him. This. This is your source of life. This. Running to your shelter and crying out. This is why I pray when we gather on Sunday mornings, Lord, please stir up the affections of our hearts. Because it's a Holy Spirit thing. 
And it all starts with the heart because the heart gets what it wants. So, what is your one desire for this year? Think. You probably already know. But even if you don't, follow your money, your time, your thoughts. You'll find it. What is your one desire? And if it is not dwelling with the Lord, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fail you. You might not get it at all. Or when you get it, it might not be what you wanted. What is your one desire? And my prayer has been this week and today and now that you'll say, I want to dwell with the Lord, but where do I start? Well, verse 7 gives us a good, good clue. Lord, hear my voice when I call. Be gracious to me and answer me. Just talk honestly with God. You don't want him? Tell him that. Like, be honest with God. He knows. You're not fooling him. Like, you're not going to go to him and say, God, man, I just don't really want you now. God's not going to go, whoa, give me a warning first before you, you drop that on me. God knows. Tell him, God, help me to desire what I should desire. Like, help me to desire the desire. Like, go to God and cry out to him. And I, I trust that the Holy Spirit will show up at some point like rain falling on a dry, barren desert. And maybe you're saying, man, I, I am trying, but it is. My relationship with God has been like this dry, barren desert for a long time. And I would just say to you, examine. Are you really in Christ or are you faking something? Is there sin that you're not aware of or you're aware of and you're just trying to you're trying to have both things in the house and that's not going to work. Is there laziness? Or maybe you throw a prayer up to God, maybe like once a day you read your Bible, you know, when you feel like it and you're kind of hoping like, I'm doing something and I'm just kind of hoping God, I don't know, he does like 75% of it. Like inspect and examine your heart. But maybe you're here and you're saying, man, I'm trying faithfully. I'm getting nothing. I do not feel close to Christ at all. What does David say? Wait. Be confident. Obey. Darkness isn't wasted. Even that separation you feel, like there's walls between you and God, and if you're trying to be faithful, even that won't be wasted because often what happens is Those walls, that darkness, that dry, barren land makes you cling tighter and draw closer to God and trust when you can't see or feel Him. And then what happens when you break through it, you are closer to God than you were before the darkness and that barren desert. The Lord is good and faithful. And listen, if this is your one desire, it's going to change you. Like, if this kind of one desire is, is over all the other desires, it's going to change how you live your life. So, think of this. Let's say you have this, this desire, this resolution, I'm going to read the Bible more this year. Well, if that's your number one desire, what's going to happen when you fail that reading plan? You're either going to beat yourself up, or you're just going to, like, give up. And when the Lord is your one desire, it makes it so there's going to be no beating up and unneeded shame because that doesn't draw you close to God, but it also fights the laziness. I mean, think of it. Suffering comes this year. If your one desire is God, you're going to look at it differently and say, okay, how am I going to get more of Christ in this? This will change you. So listen, I don't know what 2023 holds. No one does except God. Here's what I do know. There's going to be great joys and great sorrows in 2023 for all of us. And if this is your one desire, you will be able to do more than just get by 2023 like so many are. If this is your one desire, you will be able to say, to live is Christ, to die is gain. I'm going to pray and then we will worship together through communion for a couple of moments. So let us go. And I, I would... I'm going to pray for you, and I would ask you pray for you 
And pray for the other people around you that we will desire the Lord. Dear God, you know our hearts best. Lord, if there's anyone here that does not know you, I pray you will, Holy Spirit, I pray you will show them their sin. They can't make their way to you. You don't meet them halfway. I pray they will trust in you as their Savior. Work in their hearts. They'll talk to me or Andrew. Lord, for those, for my brothers and sisters here, and even those watching online, I, I pray you will work Give us the desire to want you more than anything. I thank you for who you are. Bless our time of communion. In your name, amen. If you did not get a communion cup, you can uh, go in the back area and they'll they'll have some for you. Um, Colossians 2.14 says this as as we come to communion. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it away by nailing it to the cross. This is um, just kind of the chorus of Jesus paid it all. As as we think about Colossians 2.14 and and communion, listen to this. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Thy power and thine alone can change the leper's spots and melt the heart of stone. That is the good news. Communion is where we come and we remember what Christ has done for us. And in the Bible, it talks about that this is a time of remembrance but it's never about just mere, okay, I remember something and let's move on. We remember to treasure. So as we do communion, it shouldn't be this, just this solemn, okay, we remember Jesus, he died, he rose again, let's go on with our day. There should be a time of remembering and treasuring that Jesus paid it all. The, the bread and, and the cracker symbolizes the body of Christ crushed and the juice symbolizes the blood spilt so that you wouldn't have to pay for your debt of sin. Jesus paid it all, my friend. Your payment has been paid by another. And, and as we come together with communion, the Apostle Paul talks about examining ourselves Here's what I would say. If you are here and you have not believed in Jesus, do not take communion. I would encourage you, don't, but sit, watch, ask questions. If you are in Christ, here's what we're going to do. Before we partake together, we're going to have just a couple of minutes, a time of confession between you and the Lord. Is there, is there anything, God, I need to confess? What's going on in my heart? And then, after that, we'll have just, just a moment of just you praising Jesus for paying it all. So just now, for, for a moment, just think and examine your hearts. I'm just going to give you a minute. Um, Just praise God.
what you can do is you can open just a top layer. This is Matthew 26, verse 26, 28. As they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed and broke it, gave it to the disciples and said, take and eat it, this is my body. Let us take it together. Remember, this symbolizes Jesus' body being crushed to take our sins. And this is, you can open that, that next layer, which is arguably the harder one. Then Jesus took a cup after giving thanks. He gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you. For this is the blood of the covenant. This, this is the new thing God is doing, his promise, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Let's take this together. Remember, this is Jesus's, symbolizes Jesus' blood spilt for you. Now, I just want you, real quick, take a second to look at the others around you. It's weird because we normally don't do that, but just do that. And this is why I had to do that. The last line of Jesus paid it all. And when before the throne I stand in him complete, Jesus died my soul to save. My lips shall still repeat. Communion was never meant to just be just this individual thing. It is a family doing it together. You are a family New Life Church, and we're going to be doing not exactly this, but we're going to be saying, Jesus died my soul to save together for all eternity. What we're going to do is we're going to pray, and then the offering plates are going to go from the back forward. If you are near, please, or new, please feel free to let it pass you. What's going to happen is as it passes you, you're going to stand, and we are going to sing to Jesus who paid it all. Let us pray. Thank you for dying to save our souls. Lord, I, I pray. Let us leave here with our affections for you stirred and moved. Thank you that your body was crushed and your blood was spilt so that we could be saved. Jesus, I I thank you. I praise you in your name. Amen.